Hello and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that are very real to us so that we can draw power into our lives from them. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and this is another short cast to help us go through this storyline that's really the storyline of David at this point. That's what we're doing this week, and we'll at the very end hit a little bit about Solomon. So let's let's jump in where we left off in the last one. Uh, in the last short cast, we were talking about uh, how Saul had died, and now David is being anointed king, but he's initially only anointed king over all of Judah. So he's in Hebron. Hebron is the place where um, J- Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are buried. Uh, it's a very significant site for all of Israel as a result, but it's also very firmly in the territory of Judah. Judah is the southernmost uh, tribe, and it's very it's south in Judah. Uh, this is definitely Judah territory, and that's where Judah will anoint David king. Um, he's, as we, I said, he's been anointed by Samuel to be king of all Israel, but not accepted by all of Israel yet. So David is going to go to Hebron, and he's anointed king. He'll be king there for seven years, and it's uh, seven years and six months that he's king only over Judah and not over all of Israel. Uh, and then he said to reign for 40 years over Israel. So uh, David, um, he has a couple things going on here. Uh, one, this contest is somewhat between David and um, uh, Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul. Now, Ish-bosheth is not his real name, I'm guessing. And it's hard to know what to do with names. So for example, David, uh, David, or David, uh, it, it means beloved. And David is known as being the beloved of the Lord. So is that a name that uh, became his throne name? It wasn't his original birth name. I don't know. Uh, that's possible. It's also quite possible that uh, someone names their child beloved, right? So uh, I, I just don't know. But Ish-bosheth I feel more confident about because it means man of shame. And I, I'm suspecting that Saul did not name his son man of shame. What I think is happening here is that the biblical writers uh, find this. So let's be very clear that the people who are writing this section of history that probably goes from Joshua through the end of Second Kings, uh, possibly even uh, Deuteronomy through the end of Second Kings, this seems to all have been written by one uh, group of people, or, or maybe two. I, I suspect it's likely that it's uh, originally starts to be compiled during Hezekiah's day, and then uh, is finished uh, in Josiah's day, and a little bit right after Josiah. But in any case, these are people who are working for the kings of Judah, it would seem. And they do, so those are all descendants of David. They do not like anyone who is a rival to David. That's very, very clear. So here's part of the issue then. It seems to me they're not even going to give this son of Saul who fights with David uh, for the kingdom. They're not even going to give him the dignity of, of naming him. He does not get a name. Instead, he's just called man of shame. Uh, but uh, man of shame or Ish-bosheth, uh, is going to rule over 11 tribes. Uh, Benjamin, they're from Benjamin, and Benjamin is the tribe immediately north of uh, Joseph or of, of Judah. Now, it's only kind of true. Simeon's been absorbed into Judah, so in some ways, David's reigning over two, and and uh, everyone else, or Ishbosheth, is reigning over 10, well, kind of 11, because they're really 13 tribes if you count Ephraim and Manasseh as two, right? So it, it, it's never as tidy as we make it sound, but we're just going to go with the typical tidy thing. Just know it's more complicated than that. So David's only over Judah, and uh, these Benjaminites, the sons of Saul and his family, are ruling from Benjamin north. Um, but the contest largely happens between their generals. So um, 
they both have um, uncles that are their generals. I, if I'm re- I might remember wrong, but I'm pretty sure Abner is Ishbosheth's uncle. Uh, he might be his cousin, but in any case, uh, Abner is is related to uh, Saul and thus to Saul's son Ishbosheth. Uh, it's absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's absolutely true that Joab is David's uncle, and uh, so David um, is going to be both blessed and cursed by Joab. Joab is great for David and terrible for David. He is a very powerful person, both physically and politically and militarily. And, uh, and sometimes that's good for David. And sometimes David can't fully control Joab, to be honest. He seems to be the one person David can't fully control uh, besides some of his kids, which is always true for all of us. But anyway, um, so we get this kind of contest between Abner who is making it possible for Ishbosheth to reign over so much of Israel, and Joab, who is making it, uh, trying to end that. There's this seven-year war where they're trying to, uh, Joab's trying to take control uh, on David's behalf of the rest of Israel, and they will be the two key players, Abner and Joab. So um, David is king in Hebron, and uh, Abner uh, it goes to a place called Gibeon. So we've heard of Gibeon before, and we're going to hear about it again later in a, in a podcast still for the reading of this week. Um, Gibeon is the town where the people had tricked Joshua into making a, a covenant with them. And then the rest of the Canaanites came to attack them, and, and Joshua did an all-night march to come and save Gibeon. And then the hail came on the Canaanites, and the sun and the moon stood still, and so on. It's just north of Jerusalem, just barely north of Jerusalem. Um and so uh, they go to Gibeon, and there's a big uh, uh, cistern, or, or not a cistern, but it's a spring there with this great big hole cut down to get down into the spring. And uh, the, the hosts of uh, Joab and the hosts of Abner are there for some reason, both of them in the same town, and they decide to have this little contest. And uh, so they, they had this contest, and everyone in the little contest dies. It's a strange little contest. And as a result, uh, things uh, break apart and they're all trying to kill each other. So um, there are three sons of uh, Zeruiah there. So Zeruiah is uh, David's grandfather, his maternal grandfather. And the three sons are Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel is just stinking fast, right? They, they say he was as light of foot as a wild row. He's, he's just crazy fast, all right? And so when they all start running and 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 going, you know, it seems like Abner's group is retreating uh, and uh, Joab's group is chasing after them, but uh, Abner is is running to get away. And Asahel starts chasing him. And uh, Asahel's not going right or left. He's not going to do anything else. And and Abner looks at him and sees Asahel, is that you chasing me? And he says, yeah, it's me. And and uh, I'm going to paraphrase here. But uh, but what Abner says is, Asahel, you don't want this. You don't want a piece of me. I don't want to have to kill you, and you don't want to have to get killed. And I don't want to have to deal with Joab if I kill you. So please quit chasing me. And Asahel says, nope, I'm, I'm chasing you. I'm hunting you down. And uh, Abner keeps trying to talk him out of it, and, they, and, and Asahel is, is uh, catching him. So finally, Asahel's about to catch him. And Abner takes, he, he must be running with his spear, and he just takes the back part of his spear and just jabs it back. Uh, so it's not the sharp end, but it still jabs it back pretty hard, and, and uh, Asahel is running pretty hard, and it goes under Asahel's fifth rib and comes out the other side in his back, and Asahel dies there. 
Uh, Abner didn't want to do this, but that's what he had to do because Asahel wouldn't give up and was going to try and kill him. And so Asahel dies uh, and they decide, let's not keep doing this fight all day and just kill off all of Israel. So that then we're, I assume, so that then we're vulnerable to our enemies. And so Joab, for the moment, stops chasing uh, and um, they go back to Hebron. Uh, but that's not how this is always going to end. So uh, the, the battle continues for years, uh, this war, um, but David is gaining ground slowly, slowly, slowly. Um, and finally, we get this really interesting uh, thing that happens where Abner sleeps with one of Saul's concubines. All right. And now this is a, uh, the royal concubines are, uh, so let me explain again, a concubine is a non-free wife. So it's a wife, and, and we should address uh, plural marriage here briefly. We'll address it a little bit more in the next episode where we talk about um, Bathsheba. But uh, plural marriage is a standard for royalty all throughout the ancient Near East. Uh, God allows it at times, uh, and he makes it clear that uh, for David, that uh, except for one exception, his wives were approved of God. Um, but in any case, the, the wives are seen as the, the royal wives, whether free or not. So you have royal wives and royal concubines. Concubine means you're a non-free wife. Um, and they are all seen as uh, taboo. No one can, and this would make sense, no one can have sexual relations with the king's wives without it seeming like they're trying to take over the, the throne. So no one should be sleeping with Saul's uh, widows, we should say, but Abner does. And uh, Ishbosheth, or the man of shame, or the, the, the king uh, who Abner serves, is upset about this. And I understandably so, because it does seem like it's a grab for power. Uh, but interestingly, Abner takes great offense that uh, his a younger relative whom he is serving, but really he's the power. Uh, he gets after him about this. And over this, he will give up the kingdom over, over um, his lusty desires, I guess we could say. And so this is a theme we're seeing a little bit, uh, but his lusty desires will really be the end of Ishbosheth's kingdom. And Abner decides, I'm going to go over to David's side. And uh, without me, you don't make it. And that's exactly what he does. He goes down to Hebron. Joab is off uh, on a march with uh, Joab has become David's kind of uh, head general, commander in chief, whatever you'd like to call him. And he's off on a uh, battle run with a number of people fighting a battle. And uh, Abner shows up and uh, he and David make a deal. And he says, I'll help you become king of all Israel. And, and in the end, that's, that's it. As soon as Abner sides with David, the, the game is over. Uh, Ishbosheth cannot stand against the united Joab and Abner and David. There's no way he can do it. Uh, most of the army is going to follow Abner. Anyone who stays is not going to have confidence because he was their leader. Plus, he knows uh, all where their men are. He knows the land, he, right? Uh, the intelligence he can bring with him just makes it so that this is a done deal. And David will soon become king of all Israel, there's no doubt. Um, so David um, sends messengers to Ishbosheth, so saying, deliver me my wife, Michal. He would like Michal back as his wife. Um, 
And uh, he, Ishbosheth, Michal's been remarried to someone else under Saul. Saul uh, remarried her to someone else, but Ishbosheth takes her and sends uh, her to David. So you can see the, the change in power already. Uh, Ishbosheth knows he needs to placate David. Um, he knows he's in trouble, even though David uh, loves and respects uh, Saul and Jonathan. And so he's uh, promised to be kind to um, their, uh, the descendants and relatives and, and not kill them all. Uh, but this is a thin thread that he's hanging on. Um, and, and so he does that. And then uh, Abner continues to work with David. And then he leaves. And just as he's leaving, so he's come to Hebron and met with uh, David and David's uh, whatever kind of a palace he has there. And as he's leaving, then Joab shows up. And Abner is gone, but not very far gone. And he hears that Abner has come. And he says to David, hey, what, you can't trust Abner. He's really just trying to be a spy and so on and so on. But David says, no, um, don't, don't worry about it. I trust him. This is going to work out. But um, Joab is still very upset about uh, his brother being killed by Abner. And this is a big thing in the ancient Near East and in the Middle East today, this blood vengeance for family members and especially brothers. Uh, so when Abner comes back to Hebron, Joab took him aside in, in the gate. So right as he gets there, he says, hey, come here, I, you and I need to talk about something. And Abner trusts Joab, but as soon as uh, Joab gets him off to the side, he smites him under the fifth rib. So he kills him by, by stabbing him, it would seem, in the same place that, that Abner had stabbed uh, Joab's brother. But Abner had done so in battle. And Joab has just murdered Ab, uh, Abner. He, he just betrayed him. Abner was trusting him. He kills him in cold blood as a revenge kill for um, his brother Asahel. And David is not happy about it, um, but he can't really fully control Joab. Uh, he's Joab is, is uh, he, he needs Joab's help and he can't completely control him. And so this is a problem. But in any case, uh, then what happens is uh, two of Saul's captains slay Ishbosheth. Uh, David says, "No, I, I made a covenant that uh, I would not kill his sons. You have not done this in my uh, behalf. You have killed a king, and so you have to be executed." So they're executed. People just don't seem to be catching on to what David is is consistent about. But in any case, now there is no one, no son of Saul left, and the kingdom is going to fall to uh, to David. David does find one of Jonathan's sons, and he restores all of Saul's land to him. His name is Bephibosheth, but uh, in any case, he, uh, which is like mouth of shame, but uh, he is going to honor him, but he, he's not going to let him be king. And so David becomes king of all Israel. Now, uh, and, and it's in chapter 5, 2 Samuel 5, that he's anointed king. Now let's get to this story about Jerusalem. Uh, and again, there's lots more details about all of this on my uh, class video playlist on my YouTube channel, The Scriptures Are Real. So David is 30 years old when he begins to be king, and he's going to reign for over all of Israel. And he's going to reign for 40 years. Uh, he reigned over Judah seven, and six, seven years and six months, and then he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. So he, he, the problem is that you have this natural schism. It's not a coincidence that David is king over Judah and the other tribes don't follow. 
because if you'll you'll cast your mind back and you may need to review the video where we talk about the different tribes of Israel or the the podcast the episode um, but both Joseph specifically through Ephraim and a bit Manasseh but but specifically through Ephraim uh, both Joseph and Judah are given leadership promises in Jacob's blessings to them and in Moses's blessings to those tribes they are both bound to be leaders and they're both very large in number and we're going to see this being an issue again and again and again and it's an issue here david is from judah and he's ruling from deep inside judah's territory and the rest of the tribes are not going to take that and david realizes that if he's going to rule over all israel he can't have his capital be way south in judah uh, and so he needs to find some kind of politically savvy answer and he does jerusalem has not been taken so Jebus is the other name it's called, and it's, the Jebusites are in there. They were defeated uh, in this battle uh, against Gibeon. You remember how we talked about that, that all the Canaanite people came and fought against Gibeon, and then the, the armies were defeated before they could get back into their cities. So the Jebusites were defeated, but the city wasn't conquered. And it has been Jebusite ever since, all through this time, partially because it is a city that is on a hill, uh, that has big walls. It's amazingly defensible, and it has a spring that they have built this uh, kind of gate and uh, incorporated into the city. Uh, amazingly defensible, almost impossible to conquer, um, and so no one has taken it over. What's more, it is technically in the territory of Judah, or I mean of Benjamin. Uh, so it's in Benjamin's territory, but Benjamin hasn't claimed that land. They haven't been able to conquer it. They haven't been able to control it, and it is exactly on the border with Judah. So the, there's a spring inside Jerusalem, then you go over a hill and a valley, and there's another spring, and that spring marks the boundary between Judah and, um, and Benjamin. So the, it's so close that you, I mean, in the old days, in David's day, when you have just this big uh, wall around the city and everyone lives inside that city, then it's clearly, uh, the border is clearly a little ways away, but you give it a few years and you can't even tell that 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 would be the border because it's all part of Jerusalem. So it is right on the seam between the two tribal territories. No one controls it. It's kind of a Washington, D.C. kind of a situation where it is doesn't belong to any particular state or any particular tribe. It technically does, but it also technically doesn't. And so this seems like the perfect place for uh, David. It's close enough to Judah to make the people of Judah happy that have been supporting him already for seven and a half years, but it's not in Judah. It's a nod to Benjamin and Saul's family who were from Benjamin. Uh, and it's uh, uh, strategically an easy city to defend. And it's on this ridge road, this way of the patriarchs. It's on a major trade and military route. Uh, but the problem is it's just really hard to conquer. So David, and I, I don't know, but I kind of suspect he, he does this hoping to get someone besides Joab who will be leader of his armies. Um, but he comes up to the city and they tell him, uh, it, we're in, in 2 Samuel 5, uh, verse 8. Um, uh, no, no, we don't want to go to verse 8 yet. Um, I'm trying to find where they said it. Uh, oh, it's in verse 6. Uh, the king and his men went to, unto Jerusalem unto the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of the land speak unto David. So they can see these guys outside the city walls doing their reconnaissance and surveillance, trying to figure out how do we get in there. And they speak unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. 
thinking David cannot come in hither. Uh, I don't know why some people think this is difficult to understand. I don't think it's difficult to understand at all. I think what they're saying is this place is so easy to defend that even the blind and the lame can keep you from taking this city. And so David says in verse eight, whosoever getteth up the gutter, I'm going to talk about that word in a second, but whosoever getteth up the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Um, so that's an interesting thing that he says they're hated of his soul, but I think that's what, what David is saying. Like, they're going to taunt me with that. Well, let me tell you then I can, uh, we're going to get in there. And if the lame and the blind try and defend this, it's not going to work well for them. Uh, so the, the gutter is, you've got this, um, spring that I talked about, and there are all sorts of little cars or, or, or uh, shafts and fissures in the rocks around there that allow water to go through and move in and out and so on. And uh, there's some way that water comes out of the city to water the fields around there. So the spring, the, the spring is protected inside this big gate around the wall. Um, pictures on my other YouTube channel, but or playlist, but uh, the, there's a way for the water to come out so they can water the fields around the city. Uh, and that is probably the gutter that they're talking about. Um, but there's some waterway is basically what it is. And David says, this is, this is how we're going to get in. Someone needs to go through the waterway. And whoever gets in and makes it so that we can open the gate, they're going to be my chief captain. Well, Joab seems to say, well, I'm not losing this job. And so Joab does it. He and a few men seem to, and I, my guess is that you have to climb like crazy through narrow, really difficult and sharp uh, places. And probably for a while, it's with water falling on you uh, and uh, pouring over you and, and so on and so on. Um, but Joab gets in. And uh, he, he not only gets in, but that makes it possible for everyone else to get in that way. And he uh, is, remains the captain. And David conquers Jerusalem and makes it his capital. And I would argue that from that time until today, it will be the most important city in the world. Uh, this is a momentous thing. It's sometimes called Mount Zion. That's because the hill is Mount Zion. Um, that, 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 uh, that's what they call it. That there's, so, uh, it's on one little hill, then there's a valley, and then you go up to another hill. So that other hill, Zion, is not technically part of Jerusalem yet, but it will become part of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is associated with it as Mount Zion. So Zion is uh, a phrase that gets associated with Jerusalem again and again and again. Uh, it's also worth noting that they call this the city of David from here on out. There is only one time in scriptures ever that someone uses the phrase city of David to mean anything other than Jerusalem. And that is Luke talking about Bethlehem. And Luke is a Greek foreigner. I think he just didn't know what was really the city of David. And he calls it the city of David because that's where David is from. And David is from Bethlehem. Um, so I'm just saying that so that we don't get people confused because the verse that we read the most often, the city of David is the one in Luke that is talking about Bethlehem. But that's not really what, as I said, it's the only time scriptures use that phrase to describe that city so any other time you read city of david understand it's jerusalem and this original part it, jerusalem will grow a lot bigger a few years later under hezekiah but at this point uh it's only this one little area and david's going to enlarge it he will build a huge palace that seems to extend the side of the city to the north going further uphill and then solomon will build a palace north of that and then a temple north of that and put a wall around it. So it just starts growing immediately. But um, the city of David is Jerusalem. 
And when you read it, just know that that's what it is. And this is a momentous event, and David will become not only king of all of Israel, but with this new capital that will be um, really defensible. Um, and he's going to bring the ark there. He wants to build. Uh, we get in, in uh, 2 Samuel 7, he wants to build a temple there, but uh, God says that you're a man of war. Your son will build it. I'm not sure exactly why that connection is made, but in any case, uh, David is not allowed to build it, but he does gather most of the material and make alliances that will help him to have uh, Solomon build this. Um, he doesn't know it's Solomon yet at this point because Solomon hasn't been born yet, but in any case, uh, David will do all of that um, and, uh, uh, as I said, bring the ark in there and, and be ready to build this uh, temple, which is uh, fantastic stuff. There's one other significant thing that happens in, um, in 2 Samuel 7 uh, that is worth uh, noting. So we get, uh, at this point, we get uh, Nathan. Nathan the prophet is introduced. So at some point when Samuel has died, uh, the, and he had been the one who had kind of advised, well, he had advised Saul. Saul didn't always listen to him. He had advised David a little bit, but he couldn't very much because David wasn't really king before Samuel died. Um, and so Nathan seems to have taken that job. Nathan does not seem to be a priest the way that Samuel was, but Nathan is the prophet who will advise kings. And that's a, a kind of a tradition that continues on. In any case, uh, Nathan, the king says to Nathan that he, he has this nice house and, and so on, but uh, the temple is really just a tent and he'd like to build something else. And Nathan tells him to go do all that's in thine heart. And then during the night, the word of the Lord comes to Nathan saying, nope, you go tell David he can't do that, um, and, uh, and so on. Uh, and I love this answer. We're going to start in verse 8. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. Now, there is some significant symbolism to that. The role of the kings or of anyone given any kind of a leadership position in Israel then or now is to be their shepherd on behalf of the good shepherd to lead and guide the flock through difficult and dangerous territory to bring them back home where they need to be to the true good shepherd and to God. That is the role of all kings and of all leaders, and we should never forget that. And so it's not a coincidence that it was a shepherd boy who became the great king of Israel. And I should also mention, I know that we often think of Israel or of David as uh, just so colored by his fall. And I'm, I'm hoping to address that. Well, I will address that later as we talk about um, David's um, both his sin and uh, his repentance and so on. But the, David is continually referred to as the, the, a king that God loves and that had his heart right before God. So he absolutely sinned. We're going to address that. But let's be clear also that he did not ever worship other gods. Saul turned to a, a necromancer. Uh, Solomon will worship other gods. Lots of other kings will. David never did. And uh, uh, that's one of the reasons, one of many reasons that David is held up as the great king of Israel. He does bring Israel to its greatest political power and so on and so on. Uh, there are many ways in which David is the great king of Israel and Christ is a son of David, literally, uh, and, and is spoken of that way scripturally. So uh, the, the great king of Israel starts out as a shepherd and in other, in some ways, just becomes a shepherd of a different flock. 
He says, I was, this is God still speaking to David. As I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest and would have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own. So he's talking about now, now we're really going to make this their place. This is when they, under David, they will finally conquer all the people they were supposed to conquer, and it will really become their place. And they will move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord tells thee that he will make thee an house, meaning that David will have a dynasty. It will be his children that inherit the throne and his grandchildren and great-grandchildren for hundreds of generations, all right? Well, not hundreds, but a lot of generations. Um, and, in, and when thy days be fulfilled, this is what we call the Davidic covenant, by the way. When thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men, but my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So in many ways, this, this is part of the Abrahamic covenant, and it mirrors the Abrahamic covenant. This idea of, of uh, God being our God and us being his people, this is God being the father and them being his son, and this idea that if we um, sin, God will forgive us, and uh, if David's descendants sin, God will forgive them, and so on and so on. Uh, this is a significant thing. The Davidic covenant is a very significant thing, and uh, Christ is in many ways a fulfillment of that covenant, and uh, I, I think we have to understand how important this covenant is. So the, we'll just do a little bit of what happens after this, because David um, then does conquer all sorts of people um, and all sorts of nations to establish not only the land they inherit, but he builds a small empire. And uh, the, the geopolitical situation that makes that possible, I go into with maps and everything else on that, that one list on my YouTube channel. Um, so just go ahead and look at that. But uh, it's a miracle, uh, and it's a miracle that's been in the making for generations by the time David is born, so that it's all set up for David to step into a power vacuum and establish not only a kingdom, but a small empire uh, that will uh, bring the prosperity and peace and protection that are promised under the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Um, to Israel, and he has all these amazing men um, that are his uh, his fighting men. He has, he creates kind of like this little, um, almost uh, uh, like a I don't, I don't know uh, the Secret Service and um, the Praetorium and everything combined. This group of men that are his men that are around him, both when he goes to battle, but also when he's at home and so on. Um, and it's it's uh, great stuff as he establishes. Um, this kingdom. Uh, we're going to end this one on the story that sets up the story of Bathsheba and Uriah. Uh, and this is in 2 Samuel 10. So David sends uh, messengers to the Ammonites. So remember, the Ammonites are related to them uh, through Lot 
and uh, the, the modern-day capital of uh, Amman, that's the capital of Jordan, is where the Ammonites were. Rabat Amman is what it's called, the high place of Amman, uh, the, or uh, the city of Amman today. They're just, you can see uh, up on the ridge of Jerusalem, the highest ridge of Jerusalem, on a clear night as you look just straight east, um, you can see the lights of Amman. So it's just, you just have to go down through the Jordan River and back up into the high hills, and it occupies the high hills on the east side of the River Jordan, like Jerusalem occupies the high hills on the west side of the River Jordan. And uh, there, uh, Nahash, who was the guy that was killing um, the people in Jabesh Gilead and elsewhere, and Saul goes and rescues them from Nahash, but um, uh, David had established a treaty with them because they were Ammonites and were related. So he'd established a treaty and things were going well, but Nahash dies. And so David says, well, let me uh, make some, he says, I'll show kindness unto Hanun, the son of Nahash. But basically um, he is going to uh, send a diplomatic mission to say, sorry that your father died and, and we support you as the king of the Ammonites. But Hanun, when these messengers come, thinks that they're spies and that David is going to, and I mean, with good reason, David has conquered everybody but the Ammonites. Uh, so the Ammonites uh, have to have been thinking for quite a while, we're next, although it doesn't seem to be David's intent, partially because Nahash had shown, had helped David. Yeah, and uh, instead of fighting against him when David was new and trying to uh, consolidate power, uh, Nahash allied with him, and so David seems to be respecting that. But in any case, Hanun, uh, the son of Nahash, the new king of the Ammonites, thinks, nope, these guys are come to, to spy on me, and David is going to come and take me over, and we're having none of that. So he shaves off half their beards and cuts their garments off in the middle, even to their, their buttocks, so that they're naked from uh, the waist down, and they have half a beard, and beards are signs of... Uh, being an elder person, so being wise and so on. So basically, he's publicly humiliating them and sending them back. And when David hears that, he says, okay, you can stay in Jericho until you get the, your beards grow back, so you don't have to be humiliated here in the capital. Uh, but that's an act of war. And so I am going to go to war against the Ammonites. And he sends Joab off to battle. Um, and they will start fighting against the Ammonites at Rabatamon, or the modern-day city of Ammon. And that's where uh, later Uriah is going to be sent to battle. Well, he, is, he goes to battle early on. So that sets up the next story for us. <laughs>